I, it's like I invested into a, a kebab shop in 25, 25 years ago in Dublin called Abra Kebabra. Which I, was just, <laughs> I invested purely because of the name. Yeah. It's not that important a name, but when you get it right, great, you know. Well, I was, I was going to open an optician's called Specky Twat, but written in a word that looks kind of French. So it's not, so it, it sounds With like a specky twat. maybe yeah, in the middle. It sounds like a specky twat, but it's actually not. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Oriam and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi Andy. <laughs> and today we are joined by Jonathan McDonald. Jonathan is a renowned entrepreneur, investor, strategic change maker, an award-winning author, keynote speaker on topics of change, digital transformation, and mindset. Jonathan's most recent startup is Self, a hyper-personal, AI-powered assistant that learns your personal preferences and simplifies your life whilst you retain ownership and control of your data. Very nice. Jonathan, thank you for coming to the podcast. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Brilliant. I think we'll ask you a question we sometimes ask, which is, uh, what's keeping Jonathan up at night? I am concerned with the existential threat of artificial intelligence. And I am enthused by the gradual realization of what consequence looks like technically in the same way as the dot-com boom and bust happened in 93 to 2000. We are arriving at the same situation with AI within the next six to 12 months. So do you feel like you're standing on the sidelines going, I told you so? Not yet. But you will be. Yeah. Will you point as well or just say And it? laugh. No, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't want to be that smug. But the um, I always think smug is better. Yeah, smug is better. Yeah. That's a t shirt. Yeah. I need a t shirt saying smug is better. I agree. I'll add that to my t shirt list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Okay, so are we really talking about generative AI or what are we what are we talking about? I think the human race has given birth to a new species, machines with brains. Yeah. And what's amazing is that people say that with an element of glee, surprise, and disbelief, even though it's a hundred percent correct. Mm. I think at the end of the day, to put it in really succinct terms, the risks are actually what happens with humans who take the advice and judgment and guidance of machines with brains that don't necessarily have benevolent means and intent. So I'm okay with the fact that there's all this wonderful technology and all these, these beautiful progressions. And in fact, I'm the chief executive and founder of an AI firm. But what I'm very concerned of is that None of the people who have created AI platforms at the moment who've left MIT three years ago with a degree in physics who now suddenly are releasing something on the world without any consequence calculations whatsoever. When we've learned the outcome of that, it's too late because the genie's already out of the bottle. And you can't undo that. You can't create a machine with a brain and then hope that you can reverse engineer it. Brains aren't the same thing as morals. Right. Exactly the point. And what's more so is that because it's technically possible doesn't mean it's ethically correct. And the giant brains at MIT that are creating it are normally slightly on the spectrum and maybe not tuned to emotions. Well put, because my concern with a certain stereotypical founder of tech platform is not necessarily one that is, let's say, with a high EQ. They have a high IQ, but the emotional intelligence and literacy is quite low, typically. And so if you apply that to advanced technology, 
the outcome is going to be unsurprising. There's going to be complete disaster. Why can't we put in place the Asimov laws? You know, why can't Correct. we just, you know, put in place the whole mustn't do harm? And I, I think I think that we that we should absolutely put in place Asimov's laws of robotics, yeah. and I'm a proponent of that strongly, as I was before GDPR. I, I figured that why should you receive an email communication if you haven't opted in? That's crazy. How should you be violated attention-wise? And the GDPR legislation that came in, I pressured that for years. And I'm really happy that we suddenly woke up to that. It, it's, it's a beautiful dream, GDPR. I'm not sure it's it's quite playing out as we want. That's like communism, right? Yeah, you just you keep accepting everything, well. basically. <laughs> <laughs> not entirely, just, but we haven't just, probably got time for I that. I put in the C word just occasionally. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just don't get us started, you know. <laughs> but you're right, Angie. I mean, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, I mean, I think there is a moral and ethical way forward. And to, in the spirit of the name of the show, sadly, words like morals and ethics when it comes to technology are usually used as complete bullshit. Yeah. They're, they're taglines and PR lines by people who suddenly realize, oh, Christ, people are worried about um, privacy and data sovereignty. Uh, we're ethical. My understanding that at the moment is obviously they have generative, it's like 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 predictive text on steroids, you know, in terms of I just write loads of shit. I mean, is that the AI that's bothering you, or is this, you know, I mean, is is it plugged into our military systems now and it's Terminator time? Yeah. So you know what isn't a, a risk is when you say write my CV for a new job opportunity as a senior partner and whatever. So that there's no risk in that. Where the risk comes is when a senior politician has his or her finger on a button that determines an outcome of something where the calculations of which have been done by an artificial intelligence. Right. That's a risk, and it's an existential threat, especially because we have nine territories with nuclear power. We start relying on it to interpret the large amounts of data That's to right. give us the summaries to make us conclusions that might be bollocks. And if I want to go to the most dystopian version, which I, was, which I only do to exemplify this, not because I think that it's as, as realistic, but the most dystopian version is that if you ask an artificial intelligence what the biggest problem with the world was then the artificial intelligence will say humans. So you can imagine the rest of that dystopian view. Yeah, the whole, what are these people doing, ruining everything. I'm embarrassed where my brain's gone, <laughs> which is if the replicants all look like Harrison Ford, I can get behind it. I knew it was going to be sexually... It was always going to be sexually geared. It's really bad, isn't it? Why Harrison Ford? What, new Harrison... Like, Have you seen Blade Runner? Oh, you're talking... You're talking I'm talking about Harris, Blade Runner the Harrison... The original Ford. Harrison... The original replicant. Deep-faked Harrison Ford. Well, that too. That was great in the new Indiana Jones movie. Did you see that? It was amazing what they can do now. And, and actually, it, you've now stumbled across another risk, of course. If we, we don't really know whether something we're looking, on, looking at on TV is real or fake. And the deep-fake technology is so advanced. So there's nothing stopping news reports of things that actually happened not necessarily being the thing that was supposed to happen. Now, I don't want to get out a tinfoil hat here, but it would be safe to say that we haven't necessarily calculated the risks inherent with artificial intelligence enough. And once you build something and then release it, you can't go backward and go, oh, we've just realised that it's kind of risky to, to let machines think for themselves. So you can't undo that. And there's a little bit of, if you build it, somebody somewhere is going to use it for evil. Like whoever. Immediately, that's probably the first... No, sorry. The first thing anybody's going to do is use it to get money off other people. That's right. Second thing is maybe just nuclear annihilation. That's, well, yeah, that's right. But I mean, if we, if we class it as malevolent and benevolent, mm -hmm. unfortunately, with any new innovation... 
the trend doesn't gear towards um, benevolent means. That happens as, as an aftermath of a consequence. I'm, I'm inside this Facebook group called Signs That Have Been Evidently Part of a Legal Claim Prior. And it's like these disclaimer sign notices on the edges of, Caution of things. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and I and I feel that benevolence comes as a consequence of largely a litigious outcome beforehand. Whereas on the malevolence side, yeah, fire on demand was the first innovation of humans. And the first thing we did when we created fire on demand was we democratized power immediately. Someone could be five foot three and and be able to to annihilate an entire army. And so we just burnt everything. You burn your cave, you burn each other, you burn yourself. So until you can control fire on demand, then then only then you're able to have to use it to warm people in a in an old people's home who might get chilly overnight. But it had to start through accidents, mistakes, malevolent means. And so AI is on the same trajectory. And I'm I'm concerned I about it. I see your point. And but yeah, that's kind of the thing because it's inevitable to some extent, isn't it? I mean, you could look at the, the motor car or, you know, all sorts of things that have just been, you know, little did they know a hundred, you know, 130 years ago when they were driving around a few cars where it was all going to go and stuff. So it's like we 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 have to do this, don't we? We have to go fuck it all up. And like, I mean, do you see another version? Are you like basically saying you have to learn by doing? Well, I'm just saying, look, everyone's saying we've got to, you know, it's a bad thing. It's just it's a new invention. It's all going to go fucking bananas for a bit until we work out how to, you know, put out fires again. Isn't that life? I think that A, it's that's normal. This is the way things are done. And however much I bleat about the risks or Sam Harris and a few others are saying online, listen, there's some risks here it still won't change progress. You know, there's AI platforms that have had a billion dollars thrown into them from, from finance. Whereas Self, the one that I'm building, we're struggling to raise capital. Even though I've raised 150 million over the last 30 years from different startups, this particular startup is hard to raise capital for. Why? Because they go, well, yeah, well, all these other platforms have had billions thrown into them, so they're all going to win. And I'm like, but they're all going, that's, that's actually dangerous stuff. You could all invest into a moral and ethical version and they're like, we don't see any moral risk with with that. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Of course you don't, because you haven't seen the consequence. If I were to write another book, which I won't do, if I were to, I would call it What Does It Take? And the book would purely be on a spectrum of when enough consequence is visible for people to change their mind. What I like about virtual reality, for instance, is you put sex offenders into a virtual reality simulation to actually understand what it feels like to be a victim. They re really fast ap appreciation of what it feels like. Mm. This is what it's like to give birth. <laughs> Dude, if men had to give birth, no one would ever be born. No. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your business and then how it's different because you say at the end of it, which I thought, you know, without retain ownership and control of your data. I mean, at the end of the day, and something to help me, it's got to listen to me all the time, I assume, does it? No, so self is an assistant, like a personal assistant, an actual personal assistant, except it's your AI version of that. So you choose what you tell self, and that's only your data. There's no co-mingling of data. Self doesn't use it. Self's not selling it to other people. No. It's, not, it's not listening to me all the time. I type into it, do no, I? No, yeah, you type into it, and you say, hey, self, here's a bit about me, my preferences, my family members, the important people in my life, the important dates. This is what I'm looking to buy next. And self gets oh to know you. Oh my God, it's going to tell me when the birthday's coming up two yeah, weeks in advance exactly. and make suggestions of what to That's buy. That's correct. This is a man machine, a man assistant, you know. I'm sorry to be so sexist, but I, the girls seem to be amazing at sending cards and stuff. It's called having a diary. 
It's called you giving. It's called giving a shit. And you put the dates in. It's called giving a shit. I mean, my theory with men is we only think twenty four hours ahead. Am I getting pissed tonight? What am I eating for lunch tomorrow? There's a guy called Shed Samo, a friend of mine from from past. He used to be in Channel Four into the Big Brother thing, and and he wrote, he released a book, very very good, best selling book called What Men Think About Apart from Sex, and it's two hundred and forty six blank pages. <laughs> Right. Anyway, so but the but self <laughs> that's great. But but self self is an ethical AI, and the and anyone can go to self app and just and just become a tester. I think you'd love it. Oh, I like it a lot. Self app. Self app. Yeah. Self stands for system effective lifestyle filtering. The thing that we're trying to achieve with self isn't actually just acting as an assistant. What we're trying to achieve eventually is an operating system that you own. And is only yours. Wow. And it's completely tailored to you. Yeah, that's right. That's the North Star. That would operate on all of your machines? Or? Yeah, absolutely. But with no back door to Google, no front door to anyone else. And actually, here's the thing. Freedom, freedom by the way, is a double-edged sword. And so you have, on one, high, one hand, you've got the liberty and will of that. But on the other hand, you have responsibility. So what's dangerous with freedom is that when you say it's completely private, it's all yours and not even the government can get to you and all this kind of stuff, you end up being, you weaponize the tools. People use it for doing nefarious acts. So with freedom comes great responsibility. One has to be legitimate. And, and I think that what, as from the founder's perspective, from my perspective on this, I need to be realistic with our manifesto, uh, which anyone can read at self.app forward slash manifesto. It's there and it's blatant. And I started thinking about self in 1979. My first experience of a computer was the computer should understand me more. And it didn't. Then the 80s happened, then the 90s, the World Wide Web launched. And I thought the World Wide Web would enable computers to understand me more. You don't have a good relationship with computers. As, really, as recently as last week, if, you, if anyone here uses Siri or, or Alexa, if you say to Siri, what's my favorite color? Siri will say, how would I know that? And you go, okay, all right. Siri, my favorite color is red. Okay, what's my favorite color? Siri goes, I'm not a mind reader. Yeah, and yet you know everything about me and you're telling Microsoft That's right, the and, and the NSA and, and the advertisers. So you do know my favourite colour. In fact, you know stuff that I don't even know that I know. Why is that geared towards only your internal benefit for the shareholders? My view of technology, firmly, whilst I have breath in my body, is that it should be subservient to each individual and sovereign to each individual. And it's an extremely unpopular view, unfortunately, which is sad, but that's where we're at. That's a great line. So technology should be there to serve us. Yes, I agree. You should look at it like a dishwasher. I think so. You know, I mean, there's a a fear of arrogance for humanity, but I think it's fair to say that, yeah, technology should be helpful. But sovereign means that it should be, what, independent? What is sovereign? Sovereign to yourself, so you're the ruler of it. You are the ruler of it. And what's more so, the ruler of all of the data inside it and also the ruler of the rules of it that it uses. And how do you make money? You just charge me a a fee because I I like, you know, you don't need advertising. It's just going to be, look, I pay 20 quid to be left alone. Sure, there's two sides of the business model. One's a subscription and one is just through the affiliate partners. If someone bought a Mercedes SLK through Self four weeks ago for 110 grand. So let's say Self has a partnership with Mercedes and makes 5%, clips the ticket. Our view of that affiliate commission, which is going great guns, by the way, already, our view of the affiliate commission is to split the affiliate commission with the user. Oh, wow. And Mercedes. 
Oh, wow, that's and nice. And so it actually generates this perpetual virtuous cycle. You will get a third or whatever. That's right, yeah, a third. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think that that's been, it's been outrageously popular, actually. And, and so we now have an 85% retention rate each month. We've got a $10 average revenue per user. So someone bought a Mercedes, they sat there and it went like, um, oh, it's your dad's birthday coming up. Why don't you buy him a car? I mean, is that, or I'm saying, oh, I want a car. This guy said, in self, said, I'm looking at buying this particular car. I found it for 118 1,333 on the road price. Do you know if there's any other way of me getting this for less money? And Self said, well, actually, if you use this supplier and you're willing to wait six more weeks because it's going to ship in from Munich, then you can get it for 103,000. He went, done. Wow. So it has that level of granularity, lateral thinking. But you know what, all technology can. So it's not even advanced tech. It's just advanced philosophical structure of the tech. You know what's the most complicated part? Is not accessing the information that public... Because the public, when you Google search, you receive information that advertisers have bid for. You don't receive the best information. You receive the information the advertisers want you to see. So if you know how to get information from the web without being filtered by advertisers, and then you put in human filters of what you actually are into, you arrive at self. System Effective Lifestyle Filtering, S-E-L-F. That's what it is. Oh, okay, nice. Was that the hardest part, coming up with the name? <laughs> coming up with the acronym. You know what, acronyms, acronyms <laughs> yeah. are always tough for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the million lines of code that we wrote, it's the, uh, it's the acronym. I find your whole way, it's, it's, it's very refreshing. It's, um, and it's sort of talking in a way that's just not corporates trying to flog us stuff. I mean, I feel like we've reached saturated points, so, you know, of advertising and where you're sitting is, is so good. I mean, do you feel, I always thought of the big providers, at least Apple tried to be a bit more on your side. You've, I mean, they're serious shit, by the way. I, mean, I, I don't I, know why. But. I think Apple, Apple have a, had a, and maybe still have a alternative view of uh, human rights. Yeah, uh, I mean, alternate to the common view of human rights, which is that fuck them. You're right, sell them. Exactly right. So I'm a fan of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Clause One, and so the Clause One is all humans are born free, and that's free to speak, free to free to think, free to move, free to whatever. My view of human rights starts there. Apple's view of human rights was based on that. Now. And I've been in conversation with the, the Apple team for many years in different contexts. And out of all of the large tech platforms, there is a closer similarity to that from Apple than there is from Google or, yeah. or Microsoft. And so that isn't to say that they aren't necessarily um, prioritizing human first, but out of all of them, they most certainly aren't just thinking humans are numbers. Like they're not, they're not taking the Facebook approach, which is, now, we're going to make it really difficult for you to actually access information retrospect. Actually, what's more so is that when you upload a picture onto Facebook, we own it from then on. It's our IP. And you're okay with that because if you leave us, you're going to have to convince all of your friends to leave you too. And you'll lose all your photo albums and stuff. But you can download a low-res version of the JPEG. I know you uploaded a high-res version of your daughter's birth. But nonetheless, you know, it's our IP. We kind of own her. I mean, at the end of the day, if the service is free, then it's highly likely you're the product. Yeah. And, and in, in the self-manifesto on the site, that manifesto has these six points, which are the guiding lights of every single decision that we make. Everything. Every hiring decision, every copy that's written, every database architecture that's written. And it's completely like everything that we do. It's, it makes life very simple. Because you have like a really complex kind of task where we're thinking, do we license the business over to these different territories and do we partner with this company in France? Blah, blah, blah. We think that, and we just go, yeah, it's really complex. 19 moving parts. 
What do we actually stand for? Here are the six things. Sorry, Pepe, what are you no, going to say? I was just going to say, unless you have ethical principles, yeah. it always comes down to commerciality, right? Yes, that's right. Who, you know, like, it's a really stupid example, but years ago, before streaming, mm. I went to join Blockbuster and I actually read the terms and conditions. And one of the terms and conditions of Blockbuster at the time was, you give us your, your bank account details and we can take money from your bank account. You know, direct debit kind of stuff. Not no. direct debit. Just if we decide you owe us money, we will take the money. Wow. Right. And so I went and said, I'm not signing up to these. And they went, Do you want to rent a video? That's right. And like, you have no choice. And it's always going to come down to who's got the more power in a negotiation. That's right. I mean, th I mean, we should never in 2023 have got to a stage where this conversation is even possible. Mm. What, talking about Blockbuster, because nobody knows what it is. Well, anymore. actually, there's a whole other story about Blockbuster. I got I got in trouble with talking about Blockbuster. Before. Oh, really? I wrote a chapter about Blockbuster going down in Powered by Change. And when I won the British Book Awards with that book, I got a, a cease and desist, retrospective cease and desist from the, from the lawyer of the ex-chief exec of Blockbuster. Oh, my God. <laughs> Noise. And I was like, Jesus, mate, I'm just pointing out that you're <laughs> fucking stupid. I, was, I mean, you know, anyway, but to your point, I think the, I think at the end of the day, we, we're in a, a situation where we have this kind of Overton window where what's been normalized kind of creeps up. What's an Overton window? So an Overton window is that we have a, um, what we think is outrageous yeah. and what we think is, is ridiculous and so forth. That creeps more and more and more. Right, right. I'll give you an example with COVID. So it was, it was kind of, pitched that we had to stand two meters apart with 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 um, face masks. So it's like, okay, well, that's not too, you know, bad. And it's like, well, actually, you're only allowed two kilometers away from your home, and you're only allowed once once now, once once a day. And it's like, all right, okay, well, I guess that. Oh, well, actually, you're not allowed into a place if you haven't had this particular vaccine that will have no impact on you going into this place or not, but nonetheless, that's the way. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, fine. Oh, and actually, you're not allowed to leave the country, even if you need to be repatriated to your, or to your job. And it's, oh, actually, your kids can't get childcare unless they've been... And so what happens with the Overton window is that... It's kind of what people will accept. That's right. And it creeps. And the problem with <clears throat> the creeping Overton window with, with ethics in general is that things get normalised that are outrageous, prior. And so the the story about Blockbuster's terms and conditions, or when we accept that Facebook's Magna Carta length terms are that URIP is being surrendered, that should never be normalised. It should be outrageous. It should be something where people just go, I'm not okay with that. And on mass, we just go, no, actually, you're lucky if you don't have mass class action. You make very, very sound points that we've sort of allow, allowed ourselves to sort of sleepwalk into very strange, strange situations. Um, I mean, in your view, okay, the genie's out the bottle. You're, you're trying to do something interesting over here, trying to sort of create a voice of sort of more common sense about these things. I mean, you know, it, it does amaze you that we're allowed to do these things because of any country that is actually quite good at this all unreasonable contract, common law, you know, we, we're not bad at that. But the, the Oh, this is so time-consuming. Come on. Sorry, I'm, I'm going slightly serious because I'm trying to get my thought out. But, you know, why don't we stop them? Why don't we all stop and do it? Well, you in America, maybe they'd be litigious about it, but they, they, they're sort of bonkers. It's like there's no leverage, as you say. So I think the reason why people don't... Well, let's take it from the public point of view. Yeah. Because we've it's become normalised, um, the, the standard public opinion is, well, I don't mind. Yeah. It's okay. And the, the, the switching costs is too high. It's like self-will at some stage have a Facebook without advertising 
and any form of weird, creepy data graph analytics in the background. We'll create a social network where literally it's you and your mates and you're connected node to node, validating node to validating node, and there's no one in between, right? And we'll create it and we'll probably have a million users on it after five years of marketing to the billion users on Facebook. And people go, oh, I could do that, but oh, I just it's just too easy. Part, part of it's sort of trusting government, isn't it? It's like, do I care that that's, you know, Alexa listens to all my shit and stuff because not all of it's great. But I'm like, well, I'm okay with it as long as I'm kind of in this country, even though the government's terrible, but as in, you know, this is maybe naivety, but I don't actually believe that the police are going to kick my door down and arrest me like they are in China. But is that, you know, is that sliding scale coming to us all? First they came for the accountants and we all cheered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but the lawyers were first up against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, think, I think at the end of the day... Um, I've always wondered where I stand on stop and search, let's say. And it's yeah, yeah, this is a good an analogy. So, so being a person of colour in the south of England in the 70s and 80s, um, especially where I grew up in the south of England, in Camberley and Surrey. Right. And, and your dad's a rocket scientist too. My adoptive dad, yeah. Oh, right. So there's, there, was, there was three people of colour in, in my town. Right. right. Three, me, Julian and David, right? Us three people of colour, we had a terrible time in the 70s and 80s, but the the ability for police to always find us wherever we were and stop us and search us was, was bizarre. There was a tendency towards that type of um, being stopped that I got used to and started to look at it pragmatically and think, if I'm not doing anything wrong, am I okay with being stopped and searched? So if I drive out of here and, and someone stops my car and says, can I look in the trunk? Let's assume that they're legally allowed to do that. In some countries they are, some countries they're not. In the States, you need a warrant. So let's assume that they did do that. If I'm not carrying anything in the trunk of my car, why have I got a problem with it? So I kind of, I've gone on to the, I'm not a fan of the abuse of human freedoms, but I am a fan of upholding or trying to uphold a society where I know that my kids are likely to be safe. Yeah, yeah. Don't get, don't get too angry about it. I haven't got anything to hide. At the end of the day, with, I think with what self is positioning itself as and what I'm trying to do as a mouthpiece of the ethical view isn't to convince anyone of an alternative um, necessarily because I'm aware that the switching cost is so high for things that people do and ChatGPT and so forth are, are the, the fascination at the moment. They're the, you know, the, the handsome guy at the ball. But what I need to do, it'd be remiss of me not to, is to show an alternative version. Yeah. If I didn't show an alternative version, I wouldn't be able to go into my later years and think that I had done nothing. Silence is kind of compliance in this. I, I have to, in the same way as what you're doing here with, with this podcast, is not only refreshing, the way that you're showing an alternative view to the bluster and bluff of how law firms and accounting firms tend to operate and businesses tend to operate is in and of itself the reason why I'm most certainly going to be a client of yours because I think what you're doing stands for what I believe in. And if you didn't do this, if you didn't have this, then you would be complying to some extent with the bullshit that other operations operate as. What I'm doing with the AI space is the same thing. I'm saying self is... Unfortunately, niche, boutique, rare, and, and exotic. It should be normal. It's, human rights should be standard. But the fact that it isn't is, is just where we're at. 
It's it's very um, nice of you to say that. I think you know, and I, and and big up my old man and my granddad really for that because they come from a world where professionals give opinions. You don't go to the doctor and they say, oh, I don't know, it could be this, could be that. Here's some books, go and read it. But the, but there's something's gone wrong in these industries, isn't there? So there's a fear of risk, there's a fear of liability, which has driven an industry to become some, somewhat useless. That's when right. Your fucking job is to give a fucking opinion and stand by. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. What do you think is bullshit in your industry, then? What do I think is bullshit in the industry? Is technology platforms that don't prioritize humans and their relationship with their own freedom and data. I think that there is a way of doing business that is much easier if you bypass all form of emotional respect. And for instance, I'll give you an example. We could have raised, I mean, we're taking checks for anything from £10,000 upwards now. Mm -hmm. We wanted to raise a million pounds. It's taken me a year to raise 400000 from friends and family and bankrolling with, with, with And you're clearly very well connected and experienced. Absolutely. And, you know. and, and, and you know why it's weird is because if I'd have said, and what happens with the data is it all gets pulled into this algorithm and then we can sell it to advertisers and market research and everything, we'd be funded today. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually been told that. Yeah, no, of course. And I'm sitting there going, but that's abhorrent. And they're like, but it makes a lot of money. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, fuck you then. I'm not going to take your money. And they're like, well, I'm not offering you money. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I think it works less and less, though. That's the thing of saturation. You know, these adverts and skip advert and da-da-da-da. I'm just not sure how effective a lot of this advertising is now. Quite right. Well, it's actually it's, it's, it's less to do with whether it's effective and more to do with the fact that the machine runs like that. Yeah. So the machine, what you should do, I mean, I was working in advertising for a while in my past. Yeah. And the amount of BS there, I mean, you think that it should be like, what's the effectiveness of this advertising? Surely if enough people have clicked through, then it makes more sense. But the conversion rate of those advertising things that you see is 0 0.1, 0 0.01, 0 0.001. Mm. But the machine runs like that. So they pay money for YouTube adverts. YouTube then put the premium, the, the premium content there. And the owner of the brand sees themselves on... YouTube pre-rolls of Russell Brand's podcast or whatever, and they go, we're famous. I'm going to sign off another 100 million on YouTube adverts. And largely, it's based on arrogance. It's largely, unfortunately, men who have an extraordinary fascination with Nietzsche yeah. at all the Machiavellian <laughs> prints. And they are pale, male, and stale. And frankly, as soon as that generation goes and ceases itself, the better. Fucking boomers are never going anywhere. I mean, they still run America. <laughs> That's another. Right. That might be another T-shirt. That's true. <laughs> Fucking boomers are everywhere. And advertising is so dangerous. I was talking again this week. My 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 wife is very against uh, my second wife, but my, it's very against proposals. And actually, you, you know, it amazes me that people don't know that it was made up by De Beers in the 1930s that you had to get this rock to That's get right. this gold. That's right. And then and then there's this hugely sort of well, she finds it quite sort of sexist the whole thing because she's had proposals in front of her family that she's had to say yes to and spend two months getting out of. You know, these are the standard now is people move in together because that's how they're going to get to know each other. That's how they're going to get stuck together in London. And they can't afford anything else. And then the sort of woman's waiting around for the man to do something he's not going to do because he's getting sex. So he's just like, sorry, was this something bothering you, darling? Okay, good. Sex later? Excellent. You know, it's like there's no system of leverage. So the years tick by 
guy, all my friends are like, well, we bought a house together. What else does she want? And it's like, you I know. know. I mean, what's interesting about that is that, I mean, at the end of my my most recent and final book called The Rise of Advanced Thought, uh, The Rise of Advanced Thought is available on, on Spotify free of charge. And so there's, this is definitely not a punt. But, but the last chapter of Rise of Advanced Thought is a a talk that I gave, a TED talk that I gave, that they lost the footage of during COVID. And it's my favourite talk I've ever given, and oh, there's wow. no record of it. You smack... That's, that's life. Whenever I do my best ever rap recording, yeah, the computer breaks. Yeah, it's, like, it, the computer yeah, knows. it's like the best time I ever have sex. No one's there. No yeah. one's there, yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a subtle one. This is that's an audience play. That's a crowd pleaser. Anyway, so... But, <laughs> the, but, the, but here's the thing. At the end of my book, Rise of Advanced Thought, this talk that I give is about Bronnie Ware, the Australian nurse who interviewed 30,000 people over 20 years of her career on their deathbed. And she said what people mostly said at the end of their life, uh, what they regret, what they regretted. And the primary one was, I wish I'd allowed myself to, to be more happy. I wish I'd lived a life more true to myself. I wish I'd spent more time with people I really care about. I wish I was more honest about my feelings. These deathbed regrets are like with 80% of people on their deathbed. So the correlation between what people almost always regret and what people don't do during their life is so strong. Yeah. What we really need mm -hmm. to do is reverse engineer the regrets into action now. Mm. So I wish I'd lived a life more true to myself calls us to live a life true to ourselves as soon as humanly possible. So when people say to me, I'm in this dead-end job, just check in at nine o'clock, check out at 5.30, it's killing me, but hey, it's a job. And I'm saying, so in 40 years' time on your deathbed, what would you say to yourself now? And they go, oh, I'll tell myself to leave. And I'm like, well, why are you still standing there then? Yeah, it's quite inertia. It's quite hard for people. Can self, you hope self maybe could do that a yes, bit? Yes, because self will remind you of you. Here's what how self does this. So self can remind you what you find valuable. Mm. And so rather than directly critiquing something in a decision basis, you can remind people of their values. So for instance, my values is largely around peace, of which adventure and freedom and honesty and, and so forth feed into internal and external peace. That's what I that's my value grid, right? And so self can remind me of my values. When I'm about to make a decision or thinking about doing something or whatever, self says, well, is that actually going to make you more peaceful? Because that's what you've said hmm. that, you're, that you it's find important. the most valuable. And so it's not the thing itself that's critiqued. It's a reminder that you actually find these things important. So if someone says, you know, I'm thinking about going out for a pint tonight, even though it's Wednesday or Thursday, and self could say, all right, well, you said that you don't drink during the week. Um, is that, has that changed? Your pants were on fire. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, that's when you're throwing the fucking thing out the window, aren't you? It's like, do you really need that second drink, Andrew? Fuck you! You know, yeah, so. throws the iPhone out. Yeah, yeah. drinks another pint. Yeah, yeah. One step closer to diabetes. Yeah. Well, that you, actually, it's an interesting tightrope you have to walk, don't you? It I is. I mean, you know, to be able to give a good advice to just sort of nudge behaviour. It's like people never like to hear it from their GPs. I just saw my friend yesterday, and he hasn't seen a GP in his thirty years. Because thirty years ago, he told him that he, he should lose some weight or something. He's still got. You know, we don't. It's like a very. It, that, it's a very skilled thing. It is, but it's also really simple as of a conundrum to solve. And the simplicity of it is the structural architecture of the setup. And our setup is, what does the user say that they want? Mm. So imagine a sliding scale. This is coming in phase three, which would be Q2 next year. 
a sliding scale in an interface where you can choose the severity of the reminders of your values. Right? So if you imagine that, like a like a you alcoholic wanker, you fat <laughs> bastard. All yeah. those, you know, there's different versions on the scale. <laughs> to a, just a very really question. That's right. Really again. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. yeah. Just a mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> and but it is very strange the way we get stuck in things. You get stuck in so many ruts. It feels so hard to change in a thing. I mean, there's, there's a limit though, isn't there? I mean, I sometimes think, yeah, you know, your twenties do what the fuck you want. Thirties still you're fine. Forty, but the, do you get to a point when it's like sixty and they're saying, I want to change my career, and you're like. At the end of the day, I mean, some people, there's this guy um, who has told us, the company self, that self, it, the way he's using self is for career advice at 61. Okay. And so self is pragmatic because the way he deals with self is pragmatic. And he says, you know, do, what options do I have? And self says, well, your career is 40 years deep. You know, you could be an amazing non-exec advisor. You've got the kind of mentoring platforms. Here's some suggestions. And he loves it. He's just like, wow, everyone said that I was gone, like I'd done, been there, done it. And it, in a bad way and self-helped me in a good way. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do more than that, I think, is to show where the real value addition can be for human life. And I'm not convinced that it's going to be in the document creation stuff that ChatGPT does. You know, what is an ethical version of a document creation? Of a, you know, I think where the real value is, is things like a personal shopper AI that understands you and your deep needs and requirements. One of our users called Amazonia writes in and says that she's told self that she likes jeans that have 2% or above elastane in it, or elastine, whatever it is. And she just likes that, especially around the waist. That's the thing. So self now is on a permanent mission for her in the background. Oh, I love this idea. I've just tried to sign up. Hopefully Good. I have. And so, so what self does is self is always on the prowl for deals in the, the range of clothes that she likes and makes her feel sexy and tells her about these things on a regular basis. And so she's absolutely, it's her best friend. She's called self Simon. She's changed the name of self to Simon. And she speaks to Simon all the time. And so Self, as a personal shopper for Amazonia, that's not her real name, that's the only name we see, how she relates to Simon, they've now got their own relationship. That data is not, doesn't go anywhere. That's nothing to do with me. I'm the founder of the bloody thing. I coded it. That's, her, that's their relationship. When you think back to the very start of kind of um, mechanization, or you go back to like the 1940s and 1950s and the first dishwashers and the first hoovers and the first, all those things. Yeah. The whole point of them was to save time for people. And that sounds to be almost what self is. You've, you've, you've nailed it, the value proposition yourself. So uh, no pun intended, that the, the ultimate value proposition of self is to give you back time. Yeah. yeah, And because of the, the most precious commodity part and all the other narrative that you can spin. But you know what it really is? It's because the person who created it, <laughs> me, thought that machines were meant to do that. Yeah. I thought computers were meant to do that, and they don't. They make it more noisy. Ultimately, the end game of technology is yourself, right? Yeah. We're actually the technology already. Yeah. Just to be, to, we're be slightly ephemeral yeah, yeah. about it, but humans already are the technology. We don't need an artificial intelligence for something we haven't even properly understood. And I'm saying this with a neurology diploma background. Yeah, you code, you mentioned as well. I'm a full stack coder, but... Because no offense, you're not, you're not a spring chicken, but you just coded. You're up to date with all your coding and everything. I've been coding since I was a kid, yeah. Wow, okay. And you've always, because you've done a much more business career all the time, you've kept up with yeah, it. Yeah, but also martial arts. I was a semi-pro martial artist for 30 plus years. No way. I retired at the World Championships in 2019. I 
have built websites since 1993, since the first websites in the world. Wow. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I'm a polymath. So I'm, I've been involved in lots of different things. Yeah. But my passion has always been trying to enable um, machines to help humans as opposed to hinder them. And since these smart devices that we have now, which are suction mechanisms of our data and pillaging information of humans um, to feed machinery that doesn't benefit the humans, I find it, I find it completely fucking distasteful. And, it will, and I have to create an alternative. Welcome to the 10 second quickfire round. This is where we're going to ask you a list of questions to get to know you a little better. And you've got about 10 seconds. It never works to answer them. Okay. Okay. Deke, the music. What was your first job? Worked in a pizza parlor for five and a half minutes before I got sacked. No! That answers another one. We'll yeah. cut back to that. Yeah. What was your worst job? That one. That's the Working only job I've ever had, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Favourite subject at school? Maths. Very nice. Special skill? Mind reader. Mind reader. Ooh, oh. Scary skill. <laughs> Can you tell what I'm thinking? You're thinking I'm fascinating. Close, obviously close. Do you want to go for a drink? <laughs> what do your parents want you to do? What did your parents want you to do? Anything but this. They wanted me to be a lawyer, like my brother and sister. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Exactly what I am now. Oh, wow. Go-to karaoke song? Um, Angels by Robbie Williams. Oh, God. It's a good one to sing, though. That is a generational thing, though, I think. It is, yeah. Everybody. I'm a millennial, what can I say? Yeah. Office dogs... <laughs> Business or bullshit? Business, 100%. Dogs are great. If humans were more like dogs, we wouldn't have wars. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, something to discuss. Anyway, okay. have you ever been fired? Yes. Yes, once. What What do you? What, what was the five and a half minutes? Uh, I, I started work at 6pm and at 6.03, a very big lady came in Okay. Um, with her husband and I said, uh, table for two, uh, soon to be three. And she said, I'm, she said, I'm not pregnant. She called the manager who had literally just given me the job. And, uh, and I was fired. So five and a half minutes. And that's the first and last job I ever had. That's the one thing you never do. No, never, never accuse never. somebody of being pregnant unless you know. It era, yeah. Recommendations of anything to read, watch, listen to? Yeah, the, A Business or Bullshit is an amazing podcast. Anyone who, who doesn't, hasn't already subscribed, I recommend you should. But um, I think Making Sense with Sam Harris is an amazing podcast series. Um, I think everyone should read Man's Search for Meaning by Fritz Frankel. Uh, I think that it's important that people look at ancient texts from different religions and not just follow their own. But also, I would like anyone, if they felt so inclined, to maybe just... Listen to my recent book, Rise of Advanced Thought, because it documents the biggest challenges of my life and how I coded the outcomes to be successful. And if anyone wants to go to self.app or contact me, jay at self.app, and wants to invest, the seed round's going to close by the end of this year. Have you got a pitch deck? Yeah, yeah. I'd love anyone to be involved in it, really, to get on the cap table. It's three million valuation, pre-money. People can put in anything from 10 grand upward. And um, yeah, it's friends and family round. So everyone here is a friend and a family. So And you're aiming for a mil? Yeah, we're, we're on 400 at the moment. We've got 600 to close, but I'll probably close it after 200. I mean, I'm basically funding the whole thing. I'm keeping the lights on myself. Mm. I'm coding everything myself and just funding everything I can. And, and it, Because I'm never going to stop. So, and this is not a sunk cost trap. It's just I can't stop because then I can't tell my grandkids. Yeah, it just got too bloody hard, actually, to be honest with you. This whole moral, <laughs> this moral thing was just a real pain in the ass. So I just sold myself to advertisers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you've been absolutely brilliant, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Uh, so there you have it. This was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. We'll be back with a quiz, business or bullshit. Until then, it's ciao.